Okay. Welcome. Hello. I'll try to talk loud. <laughs> um, we are in Mishle, Perek Aleph, chapter 1, Pasuk, Chafbez, Pasuk, verse 22. Uh, so last week we learned the idea of these three different types of people that do not possess uh, Chachma or wisdom. Um, one of them is the Pesi, the Simpleton, I guess we called it, the person who just uh, is gullible, very easily swayed. Um, the the the, um, the is the person who's gullible. The next one was the lates, which is the cynic we talked about, <laughs> and then we talked about the xil, the um, the uh, called the fool, but the person who intentionally flaunts the rules, doesn't care, and as he may know what wisdom is, just doesn't care about it, uh, which is the worst one of them all. Okay. Yes. The Pesci, you know, the wonderful example with um, Trump saying the previous election was stolen, all the people believe. Most people in today's world are just very gullible. I mean, people, you know, we uh, we live in a, an influencer society. We call it. Well. The flip side of an influencer society is an influenced society, right? I mean, if people can be influencers, then there must be there's people they're influencing. So uh, yeah, so Pessy is the uh, a a a Pessy does does very well with influencers. So yes, people are very gullible. People fall for pretty much anything, um, and they believe it. Okay, um, I I wanted to start off with something that I once heard from from uh, Dr. David Lieberman. Uh, who's a uh, well-known psychologist? Uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant little piece that he once did at a, at a, a conference that I was at. So he's standing there by a podium, and he says, "If I call this podium a chair, what does it say about the podium?" So, wait a minute. Nothing. It's still a podium, right? What does it say about me? I'm an idiot. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> So he says, so why is it when people say things about us, it bothers us, right? I mean, somebody calls me a name, blames me for being whatever. If it's not true, so it doesn't say anything about me, I still am what I am. And it says something about the guy who said it. You know, he labeled me something that I'm not. So why, why, why do I care? Right? Good question. Why do I care if somebody calls me names or, or labels me something that I'm not? So he said like this, he said, because our self-image comes from one of three things, uh, what he called feeling good, looking good, or being good. Um, you know, ideally, a person's self-image comes from being good. In other words, I'm a good person because I do good things. A person who actually feels that way, truly, is completely impervious to what other people think about them. It really doesn't matter. Um, and a person like that will actually not care if somebody labels them something. The challenge is, is that most of us don't get our self-worth sufficiently from our behavior. And therefore, we also get our self-worth from what other people think about us, um, how we feel. Um, and therefore, let's just say what other people think about us. What other people think about us, meaning looking good in the eyes of others, is part of our self-worth. 
So if our external image is somehow minimized, then our self-worth is minimized. So why do I care when somebody says that I'm whatever? Because part of my self-worth was wrapped up in what other people think about me. It wasn't completely based on my own actions. Because based on my own actions, my own behavior, I don't really feel like I measure up. So part of the way I perceive myself is uh, including what others think of me. Well, then if somebody pulls the rug out and see others don't think of me so highly, well, that's already impacting my own self-image. That's why it hurts. This is, but if a person was sufficiently driven by their sense of being good, they would be impervious to what other people think. They wouldn't, it wouldn't bother them at all. It would be like the podium in the chair. Um, okay, why am I saying this? Um, yeah. Does anybody think they're good enough? No, and that's why... <laughs> That's why it bothers us when people say things about us. Yeah, I mean, that's... But even if you are good, you may not be satisfied. So. Correct, correct. So there's a healthy, I mean, there's a healthy place where a person is, you know, feels good about themselves, yet feel they still have room to grow. I mean, that's, you know, feeling good about yourself doesn't mean that you're perfect. You know, you can, you can be good and not be perfect. That's fine. But he says, inevitably, what happens is most people, um, part of their self-image is wrapped up in how others perceive them. That, that's how it is. How do you balance, though, if you know, if somebody says something about you and you know that it's not true, but other people might believe it and that could, like, have negative consequences? Okay, so right. So, yes, there's always the possibility of, of negative consequences. But, but that's not, it doesn't lead to the internal feeling of, you know, you feel down, insulted. You don't feel insulted. It's more like a practical issue. I've got to deal with it. Um, it's actually interesting. I was learning with somebody recently the, the, the laws of forgiveness. Um, there's a section of Shulchan Aruch that talks about forgiveness, forgiving other people. It actually makes sense. It's in Hilas Yom Kippur, right? Before Yom Kippur, you're supposed to forgive everybody and ask for forgiveness and forgive. Um, and so he talks about asking for forgiveness and then, Shulchan Aruch talks about forgiving people. So he starts off and he says, a person shouldn't be, you know, cruel and cold-hearted and, and withhold forgiveness from people. Um, but he does give some caveats to that. In other words, you know, in, in some other religions, it's like, forgive at all costs. You know, we forget, you know. Uh, the Shulchan Aruch says, you should forgive. Don't be cold-hearted and withhold forgiveness. But there's some caveats. One of the caveats, and this is a total tangent, but it's fine. Um, one of the caveats is that um, if you're doing it for the benefit of the person asking forgiveness or seeking forgiveness, um, oftentimes what will happen is somebody harms somebody else. They need to do a full tshuva. They need to do a full repentance, which includes them feeling bad, sufficiently bad for what they did, right? Then they'll come over and ask for forgiveness. You're not doing them a favor by saying everything's forgiven. I literally had this. I was sitting with somebody once who was in the process of a very nasty divorce. And he, we were talking, this before Yom Kippur, and he told me, he said his, his wife, I don't know if they were before the divorce, after the divorce, but ex, ex-wife or wife, basically texted him, like, before Yom Kippur, do you forgive me? You know, like, one of these, like, and he asked me, he's like, what should I do? Like, on the one hand, you're supposed to forgive everybody. On the other hand, like, a text doesn't cut it. I mean, this was, <laughs> you know, this was a... A, uh, a very nasty, uh, you know, acrimonious situation. And, you know, th- there's no way that, that the text is, is, you know, all is forgiven now. You send me a text asking forgiven for Yom Kippur. Like, so he asked me how to respond. Like, how should I properly respond? You know, like, this is a good guy. He just wanted to know what's the proper thing to do. 
So I, I showed him the Shulchan Aruch, we went through it, and I said, so first of all, you withholding forgiveness at this point uh, is, is in her best interest. Right? I mean, if you said at this point, no, all is forgiven, everything's fine, um, then she'd think, okay, done, and I don't have to work on this anymore, I don't have to work in the relationship or feeling bad or anything, you know? Um, so you not, you know, withholding forgiveness would be, would be wholly appropriate in this case. Um, now, as far as how to respond, so I suggested, I said, why don't you respond, you know, thank you for reaching out. You know, I hope one day to get to the point where I can forgive you. You know, I'm not there yet. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll keep on trying, basically. You, know, you don't have to respond nastily, but, but uh, you know, you should acknowledge the person at least made somewhat of an effort, even though it was a very, very poor effort. But, um, you know, open the door. No, she didn't say that. Yeah, no, I mean, but then, then the appropriate thing, again, would be, I think, is, is to not grant forgiveness because the person really doesn't deserve the forgiveness at that point and, uh, you know, not harbor any ill will in your heart, but to, to you know, openly say, I forgive you would be inappropriate. Though. But that, that's, that's, that's one point. But the other point that I was trying to bring out is that he says that if a person um, creates false rumors about somebody else, uh, you do not have to forgive that person. If somebody says gives you like a bad ever? name, you don't have to. Yeah, there's a, no. There's a question in the in the there's a question in the uh, commentators whether it's meritorious too. But but if somebody creates a, a you know false rumors about somebody else, Shofar says straight out, you don't have to forgive them. Um, yeah, he says you don't have to. Uh, you know, the, the commentators discuss is it meritorious to do anyways. Some say yes, some say no. But like. That's the one thing that's singled out, like spreading false rumors about somebody. It's like is like the one thing. Like it's it's just the uh, you know, person's name is is, is their name, and, and if somebody besmirches that name, yes. Kind of like Hillel Hashem. I mean, like Hillel Hashem, I heard you, you can't get forgiveness for. It. So you kind of Hillel's the guy. That's I, I never I never thought of that connection. That's interesting. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good good, good point. Okay, um, why, did I, why am I mentioning this? So I, I do think that when I, when I was learning these ideas of a pessi and a late and a xil, um, I, I kind of felt like these are the, the opposites of these three things that Rabbi Zachary was talking about, feeling good, looking good, and being good. In other words, a pessi is somebody who is very superficial. It's all about how I feel. And if I want to feel good, I'm just going to believe whatever I want to believe, whatever's going to make me feel good. The late is somebody who's more into perceptions of others. I'm going to be cynical. I want to put on a show like I know what I'm talking about, but in a cynical way. And the Xil is the one who has your desire to actually be good. He knows what's right, knows what's wrong. He just doesn't care. And I'm just going to do it anyways. Um, so I just thought there was a connection there between those three things. Okay, but let's let's continue. Those are the, the three pesky lates and Xil. Let's, let's move on. So again, the, the context of what we're talking about here is Chachma, or wisdom, is, is basically... Uh, proclaiming a message in, in the streets to the masses. Um, and the message is to all the people that don't possess Chachma, which is the three years that we said. So what is the message? What is, what is wisdom telling these people? So verse 23. Return to my um, rebuke. Behold, I will express its spirit, my, my spirit to you. I will let my words be known to you. So wisdom is basically calling out and saying, "Return, listen, listen to me, and come back. Don't be a don't be a fool. Don't be a pessy. Listen to me and, and come back." 
Pasuk Chavdalad, he says, Yan Karasi um, since I called out to you and you refused me, Notisi Yodi Vein Makshiv, I lift, I stretched out my hand to you and you didn't, you ignored it. So let's let's unpack this. So what, what he's saying is like this. What what wisdom is saying is the following. You're going to recognize me one way or the other. Meaning either you'll return and listen to me, or as we'll see in the next few verses, you'll end up running into the consequences of your lack of wisdom, and then you'll realize wisdom. In other words, there's no way out of recognizing wisdom, right? Either you get the lesson, you know, in school, so to speak, or you get it in the real world, right? There's either you listen to the Chachma from the people that espouse Chachma, um, and you learn to avoid negative things, or you don't listen to it, and you end up behaving based on foolishness, and then, as we'll see in the coming up verses, you'll run into the consequences of not li- not living a life based on chachma. And uh, at that point, you'll recognize the value of chachma. But either way, chachma is basically saying, like, you're going to come to know me one way or the other. <laughs> you might as well you might as well do it the easy way rather than do it the hard way. And I say the uh, there's an expression, you know, the smart person learns no mistakes, but the, the, you know, the second line is that the really smart person learns other people's mistakes. Right? That's the that's the uh, the better way, you know. It's good to learn from your own mistakes, but if you can learn from other people's mistakes, then uh, that's even better. So, okay, that's the idea. So now he's he's kind of giving a, a warning, a caution to those that that didn't heed the chachmas. Says, Yan karasi vatemoeni. Again, verse verse twenty four. I called out because I called out to you and you refused me. Notisi yadi vein makshiv. I lifted out my hand, stretched out my hand vein makshiv, and you ignored it. Um. There's a progression here. Karasi means calling out from a distance. Um, Natisi Yadi is much more of a overt attempt. Um, you know, wisdom kind of slaps us in the face first, kind of from a distance. You know, in school it's very abstract when we're young. And then as we get older, like it gets more real, gets closer to us. It also requires more of a concerted effort to ignore it. Um, the, the first, the beginning of the verse is, "I called out to you and you refused me." That's like I called out from a distance and you you didn't listen. Then I stuck on my hand in Makshiv and almost you ignored it. Um, that's even worse. In other words, as life goes on, typically what happens is the call of wisdom gets more overt, and for us to continue to ignore it, we have to get more and more obstinate or just completely decided decide to tune out. Okay. Uh, verse Chaf Hey. Um, kol atzasi, you have rejected all of my counsels, lo avisem, and you didn't listen to my rebuke. And again, this is referring to a process. First, wisdom comes with advice, right? Here's what you should do. Then it comes as rebuke, which is a much harsher form, like you better do this, or, or, or you actually run into some issues. Uh, with going down the wrong path. So first it's just advice, you know, suggestion. It's nice, and you ignore that. And then it becomes rebuke. It's like, see where you're headed, and you still ignore that. Um, okay, so because this happened, because Chachma is saying, because I reached out to you, you ignored me repeatedly. So at this point, I'm going to laugh at your misfortune too. In other words, you laughed at me, you rejected me, you rejected wisdom, so wisdom says back, I laugh at you. In other words, now that you kind of wrote me off, so when you get your just desserts, 
uh, wisdom says, I'm going to laugh at you. El I will uh, laugh when your fear comes. Bevo kishoa pachtachem, when um, your fear comes like a sudden darkness, ve'edchem kesufa ye'eseh, your misfortune comes like a storm, bevo aleichem tzara v'tzuka, when affliction and oppression come upon you. So there's a few phrases here describing how bad things are going to happen to those that don't possess wisdom. And Chacham is saying, I'm going to kind of laugh at you or mock you as these things are happening. What's interesting is the progression of the calamities. Um, so it starts off, the, the first verse, it starts off, Chavav, as Pachtachem, your fear. Um, and then in Pasuk Chav Zayin, it talks about Ve'edchem, your misfortune. And then at the end of the Pasuk, we get into Tzara Vitsuka. Tzara is affliction, and Tzuka is oppression. So, and this is actually quite fascinating. When, when misfortune befalls a person, the very first thing that happens is fear. But before there's actually any real issue, there's the fear. Uh, people are afraid. Um, then that leads to misfortune. Uh, misfortune isn't tragedy. It's, it's just, you know, low-level things aren't going great. If you continue to act without wisdom, that will lead to affliction, uh, which is external things torturing a person. So that's actually suffering. And then the last one is oppression, which the Mepharshim says, the Vilgon says, referring to internal turmoil, uh, which is even the worst of all. In other words, a person who's suffering externally, but internally they have their wits about them and, and they have the right frame of mind, it may be difficult, but a person can survive that. Uh, the last thing is, is, is oppression, which means this is an internal turmoil where the person is just totally uh, destroyed from the inside. So the, the progression of, of how a person kind of devolves, again, a person who lives a life not based on Chachma uh, and, and, and runs after the wrong things. So initially what happens is fear. Um, they're fearful even when there isn't necessarily a problem. Then that leads to misfortune. The next step is, is, is externally driven, driven suffering. And then the final step is just inner, inner turmoil, which is, which is the worst of all. Okay. But is there a connection to that, to verse 26? Um, because it says, I will laugh at your misfortune. And then in 26, Seven that says your misfortune comes like a storm, and then in this translation it says I will mock when your dread arrives. Dread is kind of like an internal. Correct. Thing. Dread is is a worse form of fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, that might equal oppression. Is that? Well, sort of. Oppression is the internal. It's the one yeah. saying that's the real internal turmoil. Yeah. So that's the progression there. Okay. Okay. Um, now I, I I just want to point out that all these things are not a punishment. Um, these are consequences. In other words, and, and that's what Chachma is saying. Like, th there's an irony to it. Like, you rejected Chachma. When it says, when it says wisdom mocks, wisdom mocks, right? It's referring to, to irony. In other words, the, the, the notion of irony, the notion that, that um, you know, you rejected all this Chachma. You said you're fine. And now finally you're realizing, no, I need the Chachma. And, and Chachma's kind of sitting there saying like, oh, now you realize that you need me. You know, th that's the mockery of the irony of it is like, 
So it's not a punishment. Chacham is not punishing anybody, but it's it's the sad irony of of of, uh, of consequences, and that's that's what happens. Okay. Pasuk Chav Ches, verse twenty-eight. Oz Yikra At that point, says Chachma, you will call out, and I will not answer. Yishacharunani Veloyim Zaunani. You will. Um, uh, what do they say over here? You will search for me. Um, but you will not find me. So what Chachma is saying, at some point it's too late. In other words, at that point, you're going to want to, you'll recognize the value of Chachma and you'll seek it out, but at that point it's too late. In other words, if, if you've already gotten so far into it, um, you can't just go back at that point. Why did this all happen? Uh, the Vilnagon says, by the way, this is uh, this Pasuk of Yikroni is referring to Tefillah and Yishacharuni is referring to Torah. Um, and, and again, on the mushal level, we're talking about people who live their lives without wisdom. On the nimsha level, what, what, what's analogous to, the Vilnagon says is referring to somebody who lives their lives without Torah and davening. Uh, he says at a certain point, um, a person can get to a point where even tefillah and, and Torah aren't going to help. The Pasuk says in, in Tazveni, Yom Yomai Mezveka, says about Torah that if a person you know rejects the Torah, then, then the Torah, so to speak, rejects them. And, and uh, it becomes harder to come back at that point. Okay, verse Chavtes. Tachas kison udas. All this happened because you hated das. You hated knowledge. V'yiras Hashem lo'ibacharu, and you did not choose to fear God. Okay. Um, so the, the reason why all this happens is is because the person, first of all, it's a choice. He chose to reject Chachma. And the reason why people reject Chachmas because they hate Das and the root of that really is because they choose not to follow the path of fear of Hashem. Like we said at the very beginning, the beginning of Chachma is Reishas Chachma Yeres Hashem. The beginning of Chachma is Yeres Hashem. And therefore, if you want to go back to the root cause of why a person wouldn't have Chachma in all these forms is a rejection of Yeres Hashem, of fear of Hashem. Pasuk Laman Lo you didn't listen to my counsel. You rejected all of my rebuke. Verse Lamed Aleph, 31. They will eat from the fruit of their paths. Um, and this is the fruit of their ways. And again, this is like we said before, the idea that it's it's not a punishment, but it's just the result. Uh, it's the product. So they will eat from the fruit of their ways. The product of you know, living a life without wisdom is... Calamity. And from their schemes, they will be satisfied, meaning they'll eat what they, you'll, you'll reap what you sow. In other words, they will, they will uh, eat the benefit of what, not the benefit, they'll eat the product of whatever it is they planted. Pasuk Lamed Beis, he says like this, The waywardness of the uh, gullible will kill them, and the contentment of the ksil, of the uh, the fool, will destroy him. Okay, so what does this mean? Um, so the, the pesi is, like we said, the person who's gullible, he's very impulsive, he'll do whatever whatever comes to him very impulsively. Um, and that's what he means, meshuvas besayim, they, you know, it's like a boat, you know, and, in the wind, like it'll, it'll get blown away with every every which wind. So he says that 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 flakiness and and just flakiness of a pesi um, will ultimately tahargim will kill them. Um, 
so the Vilna points out, Tahar game is in this world, but they will have the world to come. You know, there's people who aren't. Axil is much worse. Axil is somebody who said who knows what's right and wrong and intentionally doesn't care. Um, that's worse. The Pessy is the person who's just gullible, believes in everything, he gets pushed all around. It'll destroy them in this world. The next world they'll still have because they didn't intentionally uh, go against Hashem, but it'll destroy them in this world. A person lives this life without any sort of um, grounding uh, in, in wisdom, so you'll believe anything that anybody throws at you, and uh, you know whatever movement comes around, you'll buy into it up line and sinker. It's ultimately going to destroy you. The, the, the flakiness of, of, a, of a pesi will kill them. And then vishalvas ksilim ta'abdin and the um, contentment of the ksil um, will ultimately destroy them. And that's, it says the Milligan is in the next world. The ksil is somebody who seeks contentment in this world. They, they, the reason why they don't care about Chachma is because they do what they think is contentment, what is going to give them the easy life, so to speak, um, what's expedient. And that's ultimately going to destroy them, not only in this world, even in the next world. Uh, this does also refer to a concept, um, this is mentioned a couple times in Tanakh. You know, one of, one of the reasons, and again, we don't always understand why bad things happen to good people, but, but there is an idea that sometimes Hashem gives the wicked a good life in this world um, so that whatever little merits they do have, they've already gotten reward for. And and that's just a mechanism to then deprive them of any sort of benefit in the next world. So that's also alluded to in this verse that the the, the contentment of the of the people that are that are evil that are um, ksilim in this world is what's going to destroy them in the world to come. Uh, they think they have it all good in this world. That's actually there to their detriment, not to their benefit. Yeah, um, exactly. Confidence. That's an interesting translation. Yeah. Yes. They're confident, right? They're confident in this world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Verse 30, uh, 33, the last one. However, says Chachma concludes, whoever listens to me, Yishkan Betach, he will truly be secure, as he will dwell in, in true security and, and, and peace. And he will be undisturbed by a fear of evil. In other words, the true path, and, and again, like you said, the confidence. Um, the Ksil thinks that he's getting confidence and, and security. But the only true security uh, is um, is through Chacham. I, I remember uh, at the very beginning of, of the uh, the COVID pandemic, so um, I was speaking to a banker. Uh, we have a banker, not Jewish fellow. And, um, you know, everybody was in complete turmoil. Right? You know, and then they were, they were all in complete turmoil. And I was speaking to him. And during my conversation with him, what, what struck me was something that the Chobos Halavavos says. Chobos Halavavos writes, you know, sometimes people think that only religious people have faith. You know, if you're not religious, you don't have faith. Religious people have faith. The reality is it's not true. Everybody has faith in something. Everybody goes to sleep at night. Faith is, is part of the human condition, right? If we didn't have faith in anything, we wouldn't be able to sleep, right? So everybody goes to sleep with their faith in something, right? Everybody has hope in something, right? So the reason why people typically perceive the religious to be of faith is because religious people tend to have the same faith as many other people. So it's kind of unified. Typically in the world, everybody's got their own faith and their own fear and their own 
they're all human emotions that, that everybody's going to have in something. And, and since it's not unified in the rest of the world, you know, this guy fears his boss at work. This guy fears his wife. This guy fears, you know, what their ultimate fear is and what their faith is, what their sense of security is. But everybody has a sense of security and everybody has fears and everybody has, has something they rely on to, to take them out of it. So I said, and, and the Jose Lowe's makes this point, he compares, he says, think about the most most faith a person can have, most sense of security a person can have, and he picks the alchemist. Um, an alchemist is a mythical figure who can turn anything into gold, right? So presumably an alchemist is, has complete security because he has the ability to turn anything into gold, right? So talk about financial security. You know, <clears throat> the alchemist should be the most secure. And the Chobos uh, Alobos goes on and describes 15 ways, I think it is, how someone who has faith in Hashem is better than the alchemist. You know, and he said, you know, the alchemist is always worried about the government because the government doesn't like alchemists and the alchemist at least needs something to turn into gold. You know, if you lie in Hashem, Hashem doesn't need anything to turn into gold. He says a whole bunch of reasons why having faith in Hashem is greater than faith in an alchemist. But but the point is that everybody has faith in something. So I was, I was speaking to this banker and I realized, like, in his world, you know, the Federal Reserve, you know, the markets, like, that was the security. Right. And when that goes, like you're done, like you can't sleep because there's nothing to rely on. And I said, you know, it's not that we have a different, you know, faith gene than you do. It's just we choose to place our faith in something else. You place it in the, in the Federal Reserve. We place it in Hashem. Right. You know, you maybe are hoping for the medical community to come up with a solution for this. We're hoping for Hashem. You know, it, it's just it's not it's not that we don't have fear. You fear the virus, we fear Hashem. It, it's not, the feelings, the emotions are all the same. It's just where you place those that are different. So what, the, what, what Shlomo Melf is telling us here at the end of, at the, end of the parak is that the, the ksil is somebody who runs after other things to find his sense of shalva, his sense of contentment, his sense of confidence in the world. It's the truly confident one is the one who places that bitachon in Hashem. That's the one who actually has confidence uh, versus anybody else. Okay, that's the end of Perek Aleph. Let's start with Perek Base. Okay. Now, until now, we've talked about <laughs> why a person needs Chachma. Uh, we've talked about maybe some of the introductions towards what Chachma is, what the Sefer is about. But what we haven't talked about yet is how to get Chachma. So how do you get Chachma, right? So that's what we're going to talk about now in Perek Base, Chapter 2. We're going to talk about how to get Chacham, a roadmap towards acquiring Chacham. So Shlomo Melech says like this, Pasuk Aleph, B'ni, my son, imtikach amoroi, if you will take or accept my words, umitzvosai titzbon itach, and my commandments you will treasure with you. So the, the, um, the Rabbeinu Yonah lists five steps that are going to be borne out in these, these following few psukim um, to achieving Chachma. Step number one is to listen. you got to listen. Step number two is focus, um, meaning listen to this and nothing else. Um, you can listen to Chachma and a lot of other things, and then you'll just be confused. The second step is to listen to the Chachma to the exclusion of everything else, and don't listen to anything else. Uh, the third step is tefillah, so daven to Hashem. Uh, the fourth step is hishtadlus, a person has to put in their effort. 
And then the fifth step is Ava or Cheshek wanting the Chachma. And we'll see these these are the five steps that we're going to talk about in more depth in the next few seconds. So it starts at very the very beginning. Imtiga uh, Hamare, you will take my words. Uh, you will uh, hide my commandments with you. So what does this mean? Um, you'll treasure them with you. There's a beautiful uh, word that I once heard from the, the Kotzker. The Kotzker Rebbe was known for his sharp one-liners and witticisms. So he once said a, an idea, we say in, uh, in Shema, we say, All these words that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. So the Kotzker said, what does it mean on your heart? In your heart, I should say. Right? The, the, Torah, the, the words of the Torah should be in your heart. What does it mean on your heart? So he says, because sometimes a person's heart is so full of garbage that there's no room for anything else. So he says, if it can't fit in your heart, at least put it on your heart. That one day, maybe something will fall out, there'll be room for it, and it'll get in. That's what the, that's what the Katsuka said. So, to me, uh, these words, hide away my commandments with you. In other words, he's not referring to mitzvahs here, in the context, he's talking about what, what, what wisdom charges us. You know, we hear wisdom, especially, you know, young, young kids, you know, you'll understand when you get older, right? Wisdom is something that it's heard, and sometimes it just has to be filed away. You know, maybe today it's not going to mean much to you. Um, you're not going to understand it today, but file it away. Hide it away somewhere with you, somewhere within you. And then one day, you know, it'll come out. Oh, you know, that's that's what it meant. You know, it's, it's, it's an accumulation over time. So if maybe there's no room to apply it now, and maybe I don't understand what's being said now. I don't get it. But 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 hide it away somewhere. You know, don't reject it. Hide it away somewhere. Maybe one day there'll be that understanding. It's supposed to talk. Hide them. It's tough one. It's the hidden, you know, the Haggadah. We have the tough one. So titzpon, hide them with you. Okay, Pasuk base. Lahakshiv lechachma oznecha. To turn your ear to chachma. Tata libcha lesvuna. You will uh, tilt your heart towards understanding. Okay, so the first half of this verse, to, to turn your ear towards Chachma, I want to say something very interesting. Um, a conceptual difference between seeing and hearing. Um, and this I heard from Brian Lepiansky, and it's, it's a phenomenal idea. We say seeing is believing, right? Um, seeing is a lot more real than hearing. Uh, when we talk about conceptually the idea of seeing, it's firsthand. I'm a witness. I'm there. Um, hearing is something that I hear from somebody else. I hear about, you know, I hear about a story on the news or my friend or somebody tells me something. Um, th- that's what he- the, the faculty of listening is, the faculty of hearing. It's really second-hand information. It's not first-hand information. Hearsay. What? Hearsay. Hearsay, exactly. I mean, yes, technically a person can hear something first-hand, but conceptually, in a broader sense, seeing is first-hand, hearing is second-hand. So one might think that Sight is superior in every way. Yet we find, you know, a concept massive enishma. Uh, there's one big advantage that listening has over sight, which is that the stance of the listener is one of receptivity, being receptive, whereas the stance of the viewer is one of projection. Um, very, very important point. 
when I'm witnessing something firsthand, so I'm really projecting. I'm seeing what I want to see. Um, I'm the first person there. I'm not relying on anybody else. I don't have to rely on anybody else. So therefore, I see whatever I want to see. And there's nothing anybody can do to take me away from that because I'm the firsthand witness. Whereas when I'm listening, my stance is I don't know anything. I'm not there. So I have to rely on others. So by default, my stance is one of being receptive. Um, a person who sees something firsthand first, there's nothing anybody can do afterwards to say knock them off of it. What do you mean? I saw it with my own eyes, right? Um, as opposed to somebody who first listens and then sees. When a person listens first, then they're given a framework to be able to see things objectively because they're listening. Then after they're finished listening, then they can see it firsthand and then they'll see firsthand that which they already received within a framework. Um, all too often, and, and I think this is a big problem in today's world, because everything's sight, meaning everything's firsthand, all news is immediate, all, all information is immediate and available to me firsthand. I don't have to listen to somebody else tell it to me. So I can get everything out of context, out of any context, right? And therefore, I don't end up learning anything because all I do is take whatever my preconceived notions are and then whatever I see, just verify and ratify whatever it is they already held before. It used to be if you wanted to get any information, it had to come from somebody else, right? You didn't see the video of it, right? You had to be explained from somebody else. Here's what's going on. When somebody else is explaining to you something, they can set the scene, they can paint it the way that they want it, they can give you context, and you're receptive to that context because you're not a first-hand witness. So you can get things a lot more objectively. Um, we're all, you know, the world that we live in is a world of, of, of sight. It's a world of, of videos, of pictures, of everything's right there in front of you. You're, you're a first-hand witness to everything going on everywhere in the world. On the surface, that seems like a good thing. I can make my own mind. I'm, I'm a first-hand witness. It's really not because what ends up happening is you're not at all receptive. <laughs> you're just projecting. You're only projecting. Part of the reason why our world is so polarized is precisely because everybody's just seeing and nobody's listening. We're all just seeing. Is seeing better than, than listening? Is seeing believing? Seeing's projecting. So it's firsthand, but I'm only going to see what I want to see. There's no room for listening to another perspective when, when you see first. So the first step of Chachma is Lahakshu Lachachma is Necha. Listen. If you want Chachma, you have to listen. You have to take the stance of a listener. Uh, to sit there and say, what's this other person's perspective? What are you sharing with me? As opposed to, you know, projecting your own view onto the world and just ratifying it whatever, in whatever you see. But you'll get enough perspective. Correct. So you have to be selective about it. So either one of two things. Either you select objective people or close to objective people to listen to, or you've got a range of perspectives and then you'll get, you'll get a bigger picture, Right. Um, you're right. If a person only listens to one other person, and that person himself has their own biases, you're not getting very far. So yes, even listening itself, uh, you have to be careful who you're listening to. But if, if you're not listening and you're just seeing, then all you're going to see is your own perspective. If you listen and you either listen to people that are as objective as can be or 
you're listening to a range of opinions and a range of perspectives, then a person can get a better sense of, of the truth. Okay, uh, that's number one, is to listen, just to listen. Uh, take a listening stance. And the end of the Pasuk, Tata Libcha Vesuna, tilt your heart towards um, understanding. The, the, the organ of listening, of, of, of understanding, is the heart, not the, not the ear. Uh, and a person also has to incline their heart to be receptive towards understanding as well. Okay. Um, let's do one more Pasuk here. Pasuk Gimel, verse 3. 